So it looks like privacy will be the first topic for this podcast, huh? Yeah, I mean, it only makes sense, man. While all our episodes were made for a general audience, privacy, I think, is one of those topics that's not only relevant to the public, but actually important for everyone. Yeah, but to be honest, man, do you really think people even care about their privacy anymore? I mean, we hear about so many companies getting hacked, like Equifax, TransUnion, Capital One. They lose our information, and some of these companies even invade our privacy themselves. <coughs> Facebook. Get that checked. I kind of sick holes already, okay? My bad. <laughs> but just because our privacy has been severely threatened, it doesn't mean that people don't care about it. And there are people out there who do care about it so much that it's literally their job to fight for our right to privacy on our behalf. Like the former Privacy Commissioner of Ontario and world-renowned expert, Dr. Anne Kovukian, who just so happens to be our guest for this episode? Exactly. What are the chances? <laughs> All right, then. What basic things should people know before they hear this episode? Since we're recording this intro after the interview, we can tell our listeners what they need to know in order to follow the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the first things is that Dr. Kavukin will mention her famous body of work, Privacy by Design, which will be explained in the interview, as well as the GDPR, which is the EU General Data Protection Regulation, which was adopted in 2016 and started getting enforced in the European Union in 2018. And what does this regulation mean? That is a very good question, sir, to which I did not know the answer until very recently. But what I found out is that the GDPR pretty much says that a citizen's privacy comes first and that organizations ensure that they only use the necessary parts of our data for each specific purpose. Instead of taking all of the information at once, and then using it later on for the purposes as they see fit. It also outlines that access to a person's data has to be allowed by the owner appropriately, and it uses Dr. Kavukian's privacy by design principles to actually do that. That's actually good to know. It might also be good to know some of the regulations in Canada as well, which has its own national or federal office for the Privacy Commissioner. This office enforces two privacy laws across the country. You got the Privacy Act, which covers how government agencies handle personal information, and PIPIDA, which covers how businesses handle personal information. <sighs> Breathe. Please breathe, man. You have asthma. I can't have you pass that on me again. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I was already winded. And with that, let's get this episode rolling. Yeah, let's do it. My name is Prakash. My name is Ajay. And this is the Real Talk Roundtable. So today we have Dr. Ann Kavukian. Dr. Ann Kavukian is recognized as one of the world's leading privacy experts. She's currently the Distinguished Expert-in-Residence, leading the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence at Ryerson University. Appointed as the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario in 1997, Dr. Kavukian served an uh, unprecedented three consecutive terms as commissioner. There, she created Privacy by Design, PBD, a framework that seeks to proactively embed privacy into information technologies and business practices to achieve the strongest protection possible. In October 2010, international privacy regulators unanimously passed a resolution recognizing privacy by design as an international standard. Since then, PBD has been translated to 40 languages. She has received numerous awards, and being in the room right now, we can't help but notice it physically in person, uh, recognizing her leadership in privacy, including being named as one of the top 25 women of influence in Canada, named among the top 10 women in data security and privacy, and was awarded the Meritorious Service Medal by the Governor General of Canada for her outstanding work on creating privacy by design and taking it global. I was so honored to receive uh, the Meritorious Service Medal. I mean, it was beyond my wildest dreams. And when I was awarded it, the comments I loved the most is that it was so globally recognized and uh, applauded. So it just made my day forever. And it's a physical medal. 
It's a physical, actual yeah. medal. Yeah, that you can wear. I yeah. should wear it more often. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining and agreeing to be on our podcast today. And so I guess to start off, um, as one of the world's leading privacy experts, why did you agree to be on our uh, guest on our first season of the podcast? As honored as we are, that doesn't seem pretty secure to me. I, I'm delighted to be invited to be on this podcast. It's the best way to get the message out. I want to raise awareness on privacy. I want everyone to know how utterly invaluable it is, not just to data protection, but it forms the foundation of our freedom. So I want to do this as much as I can. And we've noticed that you've, um, you've done these interviews quite often, and I think it's about being persistent in your messaging. And so all jokes aside, you've elevated the Ontario Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner from a novice regulatory body to a first-class agency known around the world for its cutting-edge innovation and leadership. So I guess maybe we'll start with the basics. Uh, what's the difference between privacy and security? I always say the term privacy subsumes a much broader set of protections than security alone. But if you don't have a solid foundation of security from end to end with full life cycle protection, you're not going to have any privacy. So assume you have that solid foundation. Then what? Then you have to have accountability and responsibility to data subjects, the individuals to whom the data pertains. They have to be able to access the information you have on them, ensure its accuracy, visibility. All of this is very important. So I always tell people, look, you don't own their data. You may have custody and control over their data, governments, corporations, whatever, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the data subject. So it's really vital to ensure that the, the concept of privacy and data protection extend well beyond security and go into this, this set of rights that belong to individuals. Hmm. So, and it's a foregone conclusion that you're clearly very vested in the field of privacy, but what is it exactly that sparked your interest in privacy so early on? You know, it goes back a long way. Uh, Take us there. (laughs) (laughs) As I said, privacy is essential to freedom. And my family has gone through so much historically. Uh, They've been robbed of their freedom. They've been robbed of, um, I'll refer to the Armenian Genocide, Uh, in 1915, my parents, my grandparents were about to be killed and there were a number of things that happened that allowed them to to escape. But on my mother's side, my grandmother, they killed her husband and her two-year-old baby boy and she just wanted to die with them and she escaped. My, we we moved to, to Cairo, to Egypt. I was born there and my parents enjoyed a lovely life there, charmed life when it was under British rule. Then the British pulled out, Abdel Nasser came in and things changed overnight. Freedom went out the door, the banks were nationalized, everything changed. My parents gave up a charmed life to bring us to Canada so they could raise us in freedom. Imagine you have everything you've ever wanted, you don't have to work, you have a wonderful family, you give all of that up because you want to raise your children in freedom. So we came here, my grandmothers uh, raised me uh, my parents were working all the time, and the tales they told me, they were in the prison camps um, a- that they escaped, and they had tattooed on their forearms their prison numbers. And they told me such stories about total lack of freedom, privacy, anything. that People were afraid to, to speak out. They're, they were always looking over their shoulder. It was just a world no one would want to live in. So as I was growing up, it just struck me the importance of privacy and its essential nature to freedom and that I wanted to 
tell the world about this. I wanted to work in this field to see if I could raise awareness of how valuable this was and how we had to really fight to preserve it. So it was clearly something very meaningful to you and your family, and of course it is to many of us, but as you mentioned, sometimes we take that for granted. Uh, but why is it important in, in your mind that people are cautious when it comes to their own privacy? Because you see, surveillance is abounding in this day and age. Of online connectivity, uh, centralized databases, where the Googles and Facebooks can do whatever you want with your information without seeking your consent or anything. So what bothers me is that people have to understand that, and, and I, don't play, I don't put the burden entirely on people. I talk to companies and governments all the time. They should be the initial parties to protect people's privacy. But having said that, there are measures individuals can take to protect their own privacy, and they can decide what's important to them and what's not. I always say it's all about context. Only the individual knows the context associated with certain information. Privacy is not a religion. You want to give away your information, be my guest, as long as you make the decision to do that. So you decide what's sensitive, what do you really want to protect, and what you know don't you really care about. It's vital that people know the means by which to do this. And there are simple things. You, know, you can use uh, search engines like DuckDuckGo instead of Chrome. DuckDuckGo never shares your personal information with third parties or anything. I mean, they protect your data. So there's small things individuals can do that make it not a big deal. And just, you know, whenever you're shopping, when I'm in a store, uh, I, and, you know, I give them my credit card information, they ask for my postal code or something, and I say, and, and may I ask, um, are you going to protect my privacy and retain that data uh, exclusively for the primary purpose of the data collection? Uh, the clerk doesn't know what I'm talking about. Right. They'll, get the, they'll get their manager. The manager comes, and once he or she understands that I care about privacy, then they elevate my privacy immediately. They say, oh, okay, you don't want us to share your data with anybody? Done. It's not that they won't help you, but you need to make it known that you care about privacy. Then you will get much better treatment of your data. So you essentially have to advocate for yourself. In this day and age, unfortunately, you do. Now, many of us are trying to advocate for everyone, and we go to great lengths to do this, but it's much better in terms of the protection of your own data if you want to lock it down to also advocate for yourself. But synonymous with freedom, it really sounds like this boils down to a matter of choice and control. And that's exactly it. Privacy is all about personal control, freedom of choice. You know, it drives me crazy when people say, think privacy is about secrecy and having something to hide. It's such nonsense. It's, it's like everybody in the world should reveal everything about their lives um, if they're law-abiding citizens. What utter nonsense. We want to work and live in societies where our freedom is protected, and we can have crazy blue-sky thinking, crazy ideas. I don't know if you know the story about Steve Jobs, who I just loved and admired so much. He used to have um, a white Mercedes that he would take in every six months less a day. He would and exchange it, buy a new one. Same model, same color, everything. And you think, why the heck is he doing that mm -hmm. six months less a day? Because at that time in California, you had six months by which you had to get a license plate. He didn't want a license plate in his car. He didn't want to be tracked. He didn't want... So right. he just took it in six months less a day. He was following the law, bought a new one, and again. So, you know, crazy blue sky thinking. You want to be able to do that. People don't want to be tracked. If it's their choice, by all means. It's, it's not your choice most of the time. So you're advocating people don't get license plates. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they changed the law after he died. Did they really? They did. They did. You, you have to get a license plate, I think, like within a month or a week okay. or something. So that one's gone. <laughs> 
you know, off, to, off topic, uh, we noticed that you have a license plate that says privacy. Was that an actual license plate that you owned? Or is that a more of a... It was given to me as a gift. Oh. And um, I guess I could have put it on my car, but then that would identify more me more than anybody <laughs> right. else. Yeah. And I could see the police saying, why is she so concerned about privacy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's a lot of irony in that, uh, that license plate. But you mentioned Facebook and Google. And I think one of the questions I want to ask, maybe right off the bat, is do you think people are more disillusioned with these big institutions that they don't even bother advocating for the privacy because, for example, that you used, if they escalate it to managers, do you think they're like, oh, you know what, they're probably still going to spy on me anyways? That's a good point. I think people are disillusioned now, though, with Google and Facebook. Uh, a lot of people have left Facebook. Um, alternate models, social media models, are now arising because you need an alternate. You need something else to go to. So I think you'll see in the next year a proliferation of additional so- social media um, Opportunities. There's one called Me We, and there will be many others that follow. I think the disillusionment is there is an expectation that you have privacy in these forums. Certainly with Facebook, uh, there's that expectation, and it's it's not true. It's not real. Now they're they're going to some lengths to change that now, and if they do, and they truly genuinely change their policies to reflect the personal preferences of their users, fine. Let's see it. I always say, you know, trust but verify. You always have to look under the hood. Make sure it's real. And the thing with, you know, the Googles and Facebooks, they have these massive amounts of central databases. Centralization leads to tracking and surveillance. Mm -hmm. It always has and increasingly. So I'm really hoping that we can develop decentralized models where all of the data don't reside with these huge companies. And you can do things. I mean, and I don't want to suggest that it's only the private sector that is disrespectful of your privacy. The government is just as bad. Maybe they're worse, mm-hmm. but it's less visible. So I always try to tell people, make sure your privacy is protected. Ask. Ask the Googles and Facebooks, what are you doing with my information? I've given it for this particular purpose. Are you going to make any additional uses? You're going to come to me for my consent? Certain basic questions can be asked, and whenever I've done it, the privacy is elevated because you've shown to whoever you're dealing with you care deeply about privacy. And then they'll go to additional lengths to protect it. And so do you think there are other reasons other than just the disillusionment from like these trusted institutions? Because uh, in the States, Snowden came out years ago Absolutely. about N- NSA. Um, you have even now people volunteering to have home assistants that can we've heard uh, can secretly record people's yes. conversations. Do you think there's... Do you think people really care about their privacy anymore? Do you think there's maybe a generational shift? They absolutely care about their privacy. And I will return to Snowden and the other things in a moment. All of the public opinion polls that have come out in the last two years have been in the 90 percentile, Pew Internet Research, etc. 91% very concerned about their privacy. 92% very concerned about loss of control associated with their personal data. They care deeply about privacy. A lot of them don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. But increasingly, and especially with the new EU law, the General Data Protection uh, Regulation coming into effect last year, the GDPR has raised the bar on privacy dramatically. Countries all around the world are trying to follow and develop comparable laws so that they can engage in trade with the EU. It is huge. And for the first time, uh, my privacy by design framework is included in the new EU law, and privacy is the default. This is huge. I mean... I have never seen so much interest in privacy as there is now. But in fairness, Edward Snowden 
you know, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to him because he showed people how much information was being gathered without their knowledge of consent by intelligence agencies, law enforcement officers, etc. And they, the awareness has been being raised for the last couple of years. Um, as I mentioned, the public opinion polls in the last two years. But when I do a lot of public speaking. Now when I go in to speak to community groups, etc., I no longer have to explain to them why they should care about privacy. Their questions all relate to how do I do it better? How do I make companies and the government um, be more responsive to my concerns associated with privacy? So personal control, everybody understands that and they want it. The having, you know, it's such nonsense that people used to equate privacy with secrecy and that you've got something to hide. Mm-hmm. I always used to say that could have been the motto of the Stasi police in the Third Reich. Okay. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's being taken very, very seriously. Mr. Snowden helped us enormously. And there are a lot of organizations raising the bar on this dramatically now. So uh, being the eternal optimist, I feel that this is the prime time to move forward on truly raising privacy and ensuring that our freedoms are protected. Um, And I guess challenging that point, I guess my argument is that even though it's easier for people to kind of have access to asking these questions. I think there's a lack of critical thinking and having people challenge the system. When people cho- have to choose between privacy and convenience, uh, my bet is that they're probably going to choose convenience, uh, whether it's not reading the terms and conditions of the products they choose or openly sharing their information to companies. How do you get people to care about privacy when it's so easy not to? We have to get through to companies as well, as well as individuals. The what drives me crazy is that it's going to be privacy or convenience. That's what we have to reject, which is that zero-sum mindset, either or, one interest versus another, win-lose. It's nonsense. I want companies to offer win-win propositions so they protect your privacy and you get the convenience that you should get in terms of whatever you had before. And companies are increasingly doing this. The companies I talk to, I tell them what a competitive advantage they're going to gain by offering their customers the strongest privacy possible. And when they do privacy by design, I tell them, shout it from the rooftops. Tell your customers how much you respect your privacy, the measures you're going to proactively to ensure that their information isn't used for any other secondary uses without their positive consent. Go into some length explaining this to people. They will reward you with the repeat business, you will develop a trusted business relationship with them. And right now, there's such a trust deficit. It will become a true win-win. That's how you have to proceed. And I also want to mention, there's a myth that young people don't care about privacy. It's nonsense. Look at Dana Boyd's research at New York University and many others, where she dispels the myth that kids don't care about privacy. Young people care about privacy, but it may look different than what you and I as adults uh, who have jobs and economic interests Um, may uh, characterize it. They ask them how to protect data from their parents, for example. They'll tell you a million things. These are digital natives. They know how to do these things. Mm -hmm. It's, they care deeply about privacy. It just may look different than what you and I would consider. But I also think they have new challenges. For example, free Wi-Fi. I think a lot of children nowadays, when they they can find free Wi-Fi, they'll sign up for it, not knowing that they can give up their information by doing so. It's absolutely true. So we have to educate as well. You know, I would love this stuff taught in high schools, in junior high, because when you alert them to the risks as opposed to the the freebies, they totally get it. 
And they say, the hell with that. I'm going to go with the stronger measure um, I, in one of my talks. And I never expect them to believe me. I take newspaper stories on bad things that have happened to kids who have someone's friended them online. And they're getting into this nice dialogue. And they give them their home address. And the guy goes to the house and does really bad things. And I put these stories up. And the audience of teenagers, they're, they're initially shocked because they're not aware of the stories. Once they realize the harms that can arise, I then say to them, what would you do to avoid this? How would you protect? And the hands go flying up. I would encrypt. I would do this. I would do They know what to do. You have to put it on their radar why they need to care about it. They're young. They don't have you know, life experience yet. So I don't think we have to assume that kids are always going to go with the uh, least privacy protective model. Do you think that we can counter the disillusionment that people have right now, no matter how many changes these companies are saying they're doing? Do you think people will actually believe them or start having faith and trust in these organizations? In some of them. First of all, distrust is growing with others. Uh, two weeks ago, in the European Union, Google was fined 1.7 billion euros. I mean, that's staggering. And when I talk about that, people are astounded. And then they think, they, they must have done something really bad. I mean, you know, then they go and look or figure out. So then I give alternatives, other companies that are going to great lengths to protect their privacy and consulting with users before they use their information for additional purposes. They love that. You just have to bring it to their attention. There are other alternatives. And with the growth of things like blockchain, for example, blockchain is a peer-to-peer model that is decentralized and provides much greater privacy. So you give them some of the alternatives and things that are coming that will become easier, and they, they get into it. You just have to feed them the information that there are other alternatives and measures you can take. So pressing on that point around, I would say, ubiquity, right, of these challenges, one of the challenges of explaining privacy or imparting the importance of it to the public is the fact that things such as terms and services or terms and conditions, service agreements in general, are so ubiquitous. They're everywhere you go, even if you're just signing into free Wi-Fi. Would you be able to explain to us how features such as terms and conditions and service agreements could potentially give information to others without your awareness? They will give information to others without your awareness. I mean, I I virtually guarantee it, because no one has the time to read all the legalese in the terms of service and all of the pages and pages of in the privacy policy, I was trying to remember how many hours someone actually quantified this, how many hours it would actually take. Yeah, it was in the EU, I remember this. Yeah, to actually 39, read. I think, or something. It was like some that. ridiculous. I mean, you're going to take a week of your work time or something to do this. It's crazy. No one does it. Life is short. Everyone values their time. They do it because they just want to get on with things. The, the way you can get around, the way companies should get around it. When I was commissioner, I think in my third term, we had this... And this happened globally. We came up with the idea, let's do a short notice, something short, right. one or two paragraphs, easy to read, highlights of what you're, you're consenting to and what you're not. So people can easily understand, do they want to do this or not? And then if they want more information, by all means, click on this and you get the whole terms of service. But it made it much more comprehensible. Right now, no one reads that stuff. And the obligation shouldn't be on the individual to have to figure it out. That's why privacy is the default, which is the second of seven foundational principles of privacy by design. Privacy is the default is a game changer. It says, we don't expect you to do all this searching through the terms of service and stuff to find the opt-out box that says, do not use my information for any other purpose. 
We give it to you automatically. It's a, it's a default setting. We can only use your information for the primary purpose of the data collection. And down the road, if we there's a secondary use, we want to use your information for something else, we have to come back to you and seek your positive consent. That is such a game changer, and customers love it. You will develop such a positive relationship with your customers. And what I've heard from companies who have done this, they say, when we do go back for additional consent, we always get it because you've got a trusted business right. relationship. We can make this work. So just perhaps balancing out the conversation a bit in, in this way, do you feel that these agreements and and contracts have become so convoluted because of the complex legal and legislative environments? Or is this an intentional an intent on the part of the organization or company to actually obfuscate the real use or potential uses of your information? Because I have to imagine, you know, legislation has gotten quite complex over the years. Scrutiny has also increased. So is it more so a protective measure or is it twofold? I mean, like you, like you always say, it's not a zero sum. And so is it both? Is it one? I think your it's the, the latter. I think companies... The longer and more complicated the terms of service are, they know the far less likely people are going to read it, and they're just going to say, sure, yeah, I can't be bothered with this. And so this is more intent around wanting the information. I believe and, so. And the free use. I believe so, because they've made such free use mm-hmm. of it. Right. And, you know, targeted ads, they, they, a lot of revenues generated by doing that. I, I think it is the, the latter. And, and that's the problem in trying to shift this. Right. Uh, fortunately, with the GDPR, that regulation is changing things. And puts the onus more so puts on the it, institutions and companies rather than the consumer. Exactly. So we're trying to redress everything. It will take time, but it's just started. And I, I'm very optimistic that we can do this. And so I guess maybe speaking to your high-profile role, what does a privacy commissioner and their office even do? You know, we do so much. And I, I just really valued my time as, as a privacy commissioner. So first of all, you have a law in place, and people, uh, we encourage people to make complaints. If you have a problem, you think someone's collecting information in ways that is not re- required or permitted under the law, complain to us, we'll investigate. I was very fortunate, because in Ontario, I had order-making power, which meant I could issue an order and tell an organization, you, we found you in non-compliance with this section, you have to reverse this, you have to do X. I was very lucky. A lot of, uh, like federally, our federal privacy manager does not have order-making power, which is appalling. He should definitely have it. And the other thing I was very fortunate was I was an independent commissioner, meaning I didn't report to the government of the day. I reported through the legislature to all three political parties. I am so grateful for that because if I was reporting to the government of the day, I would have been fired on day two <laughs> because I was always finding them in breach of this or that in, right. the, in, in the legislation. So the law is absolutely critical. And and let me also add, I did have order-making power, but I rarely used it because I wanted to work with the organizations to achieve a, an agreement that we could both live by so they didn't feel it was being forced down right, them right. and they would do the least possible. I wanted them to buy into it. So we had great success with that. So how does a privacy commissioner impact my life as an everyday citizen? You mentioned how they impact governments and organizations, but in terms of awareness as a citizen, are there things that the privacy commissioner office does to increase awareness amongst the public? Very important to do a lot of public speaking to so that people know what their rights are. And I encourage people always, if you have any doubt as to whether you have a legitimate concern or something we can help you with, just call us. Don't hold back. 
Call us, let us help you. And if we can't help you ourselves, I'll guide you to someone who can. But most of the time we could help it was if it was a data infraction of some kind. And so there has to be a dialogue. People have to know that we exist. So you have to be out there. Just before we jump a little bit further into the latter part of your career as, as privacy by design, uh, maybe if we could just stick on the privacy commissioner's office for just uh, sorry the privacy commissioner's office for one more moment, um, and just as a general citizen, what are some of the lasting impacts from your time there? Just so I can understand, you know, from my point of view, what's something that affects me in my day to day life that was you know impacted by the, your time there or the office in general? We found one of the last investigations I did. And, and it broke my heart to do this, was on the gas plants. And this was the, the Liberal government um, had decided to put gas plants in a particular area, I think in the Oakville area. And they spent quite a bit of money doing this. Election was coming up. They found that those residents did not want these ga gas plants in their jurisdiction. And it was a real negative on the, the likelihood of the Liberals voting and uh, succeeding in the next vote. Right. So they decide to move them at unbelievable expense, public, public dollars, our taxpayer dollars, just for political gain so they could get reelected. And we, outed, we, we wrote a report on this, you know, it was, it was um, and it broke my heart to do that because I had great respect for Dalton McGinty, but I had to do that. We had to out what was happening with the gas plants and that report ultimately led to his resignation. Right. And, and, and it, you know, I take no pleasure in doing that. But you have to be open with the public. You can't just make decisions on political basis and use right. taxpayer dollars to do that. And you have an office and a public to serve. Absolutely. It was, um, it was not easy to do at all. So let's take you to maybe a bit more of a happy subject on a labor of love. For many, being the Privacy Commissioner of Ontario is already a huge accomplishment, of course. Uh, you. But you're also internationally recognized for creating the Privacy by Design Framework. Our question to you, Anne, is what is privacy by design? Privacy by design, it just is so exciting to me. It's <laughs> all about being proactive and preventing the privacy harms, the data breaches from happening. Wouldn't you rather have fewer problems in terms of privacy than have them take place and having to investigate them afterwards? And the thing is, as commissioners, we only see a small proportion of the privacy harms anyway when people bring it to our attention right. and we investigate. So the majority of harms are going largely unknown, unchallenged anyway. Privacy by design is a proactive means of preventing these measures from arising. As I said, bake it into the code, bake it into the data architecture, the measures you want put in place that will prevent, minimize harms from arising. And it's, to me, it was so obvious. It's like a medical model of prevention. Can you imagine going to your doctor and they say, yeah, you know, we do some tests. We see you've got some cancer developing. We'll just see how it develops, and then we'll offer you some chemo after the fact. <laughs> I mean, what an unthinkable proposition. I want it to be equally unthinkable that we would allow privacy arms to develop and persist without trying to prevent them. That was at the heart of it. Right, and so... The zero-sum piece, I'm not sure if it's a new advent, but just yeah. want your opinion on this. Uh, I, I mean, I think there was a watershed moment when 9-11 happened, and yes. then that was used yes. as the doctrine, no matter where you went, no matter yes. where you were in the world, and no matter what the issue was, that if you want to be safe, you have to be willing to sacrifice some of your privacy. Yeah. And in your opinion, what do you think has actually driven that narrative? Is it the new age and the new sense of danger that's there, or what is it in I your I think opinion? whenever you have an increase in terrorist incidents, 
starting especially at 9-11. But, you know, these days, uh, going down to uh, Charlie Hebdo in Paris right. and then San Bernardino, and that's the most recent, a couple of years ago. The pendulum always swings back to forget about privacy. We need public safety. We need security. I totally agree we need public safety and security. The way I try to present it is that you will actually have a better chance of doing that if you follow privacy by design. And I'll give an example. What they would say, um, you know, the NSA, the FBI, et cetera, we want access to all the data. We want everybody's data and access to it. The problem is then you're doing fishing expeditions on millions, billions of data sets. You're not going to find anything. The incidents, the chances of finding a potential terrorist, which are statistically infinitesimal through that kind of fishing expedition, we know it doesn't work. There have been a lot of academic studies on this that shows that that kind of widespread unwarranted surveillance leads you to nothing. There's nothing benefit. If, if there were real gains in doing that, then you know maybe I would shift my position. But there have been no gains in that. And this is documented again and again and again. It is such a statistical unlikelihood you're going to find any bad guy by looking at the huge pool, the whole fishing expedition. Warranted surveillance, it's much better. See, the police, law enforcement, they have leads. They don't act on it. The latest thing that happened in Paris, I can't remember if it was Charlie Hebdo or one after that, they had some pointers to some bad guys which they could have followed up on. They didn't. And that's the problem. Follow up on whatever leads you have. You will get a warrant to do that easily. That's what we have to expand is warranted surveillance where you actually have some possibilities, even if they're weak. I totally accept that. So for law enforcement agencies or any government agency that's trying to learn more about their citizens to protect them en masse, there's no reason why they should be able to monitor citizens without, without, their, without their awareness. I think I can give an example. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we have surveillance cameras <laughs> everywhere, it seems. And what I've often said to the police, um, and even, you know, they have the cameras that they wear. Uh, the body cams. Body cams, thank you. I understand why you might want to capture information relating to, you know, public safety, etc. What I've always said to them is, I understand why you have these. Encrypt the video feed, meaning it's captured, whatever is happening. If there has been, um, you know, some incident that you need to investigate, you get a warrant because you've got probable cause, get a warrant, then you can decrypt the information. But you shouldn't just have readily available video feed. We know from the experience in the UK where they have, you know... Cameras everywhere. Everywhere, yes. like gazillions of cameras, where, and they've been investigated, um, the people, the police officers in the office who checked the video feed, they were following attractive women. I, yes! Oh, well. I mean, like, there's always unintended <laughs> consequences instead of following the bad guys or following the beautiful babes. So I'm just saying, you have to have some control over everything so that it's not used for unauthorized purposes like following beautiful women or whatever it's you've got to have some control and and encrypting the video feed makes it really easy because you've still got a very valuable treasure trove of information if there's an actual crime uh probable cause you can decrypt that area you get the information you need make it a win-win like that and so you mentioned human error right there where it comes to privacy 
And do you think with the new advent of technology with um, AI and more machine learning that that'll actually help or make things worse when it comes to privacy for citizens? You know, it depends. I think at the stage now, AI is not going to help in that context because AI, you develop algorithms. Algorithms are fed by the data sets. The data sets can be biased. They can be, I mean, we don't have a proper examination of the entire process. So the transparency and accountability that is needed for this massive AI that's growing. Right now, it's very weak. That's what we need to get into. And when I say transparency, I don't mean just show me the algorithm. It would be meaningless to me. You need to have an expert not only look at the algorithm, but go much be before that, the developers. How did the developers develop the data sets? What populations did they draw upon? There was a case in the Supreme Court of Canada last year where a Métis individual who was in, in one of the prisons um, Appealed, went to Correctional Services Canada. He, he was up for recidiv. Uh, he was up for uh, parole, and so they assessed it. They used AI, an algorithm, and they found that he would be likely to recidivate. So they didn't give him parole, and he challenged this. And what the lawyer, what his lawyer found, was that the training data sets used to create the algorithm, they were based on populations that didn't include any Métis individuals. So. Wow. The populations didn't reflect on how he would likely behave because it was from, not from his population. So they reversed it. They, they sent it back. And the Supreme Court had a wonderful discussion of this and how essential it was to make sure that the algorithms were properly assessed, the data sets looked at. the So it's much bigger than just, you know, is AI going to work or not? Well, I think you've covered everything. I think you've uh, kept... <laughs> beaten all our questions. Not that this was a fight at all, but it's more I think you've uh, kind of thought through privacy by design to its fullest. And if you're looking to learn more about how to protect your privacy, Dr. Kavukian is the author of two books out right now, The Privacy Payoff, How Successful Businesses Build Consumer Trust with Tyler Hamilton, as well as, who knows, Safeguarding Your Privacy in a Networked World with Don Tapscott. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know in terms of resources they can find out more about privacy? If they want to go to my webpage, I've got a lot of articles. I just wrote an article um, in an IEEE journal about going forward and doing what I'm now calling... I formed an international council on global privacy and security by design because I wanted to really drive home the get rid of zero sum, it's privacy and security or privacy and business interests. So if they would like to go to my website, um, I would love it. It's just GPS, S as in Sam, GPS by design, all one word, dot O-R-G. It's a not-for-profit, and we're trying to raise funds for research showing how you can do privacy and security, privacy and business interests, privacy and marketing. You can do both, and we've had a lot of success with it. If people go to the website and they like what they see, I'd love them to join our International Council. There's no charge to joining, but it just would reflect an agreement on that mindset that we can do privacy and multiple other interests, positive sum. Well, we'll make sure to include a link in the podcast as great. well, too. Thank uh, you. We just want to say thank you so much for having this discussion with us. We learned a lot. I think there was absolutely uh, there's a myriad of information <laughs> that we can think back on to say, you know what, so I think, kind. and also I think just thank you for your service. I think it's yeah. very rare to have talked to a, a person, a public figure who is for the citizens and has so purely yeah like it's You're it's very kind no thank and you we so really much. appreciate it perfect well thank you so much doctor oh it's my pleasure you guys have been great thank you you as well and we'd like to stop taking precious time away from the good work <laughs> that you're doing <laughs> and we'll leave it at that thank you so much
Dr. Kavukian was pretty chill, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. But you, on the other hand. Bro, you know how much I hate puns. I don't even know where that fishing show came from. But I also didn't know that Dr. Kavukian was involved with exposing the Ontario gas plant scandal in 2012. We'll include that fact as a supporting article, along with the reference sources, on the episode's webpage. And I had no idea that privacy was so personal for her. But Dr. Kavukian talking about her history really reminded me that while privacy is the right of every citizen, it's also a luxury that not all countries have. And while it's important, it's ultimately up to us to be constantly vigilant whenever it's threatened. Completely agree, man. Each person has to do their part. After this podcast, I actually started questioning how often I give up my own information. For example, I started pushing back when I get asked about my postal code at the grocery store. Wow. It really looks like Dr. Kavukian's optimism towards protecting your privacy was infectious. But way to betray your no-fills base. Oh, are we bringing up people's humble beginnings there, DJ AJ? <laughs> All jokes aside, to our listeners, remember, this podcast is meant to be a starting point, so please do go through the links to further expand your learning. We know that we learned a lot just by doing this podcast. I know for me, one of those things was learning about that court case that Dr. Kavukian refers to in regards to the Métis individual. That court case is the Supreme Court decision, Ewer versus Canada, which we also include in the episode's webpage. And, as mentioned, you can learn more by visiting the website for the International Council on Global Privacy and Security by Design, which can also be found on the episode's webpage. So, any last words there, punk? Well, Clint Eastwood, as mentioned by Dr. Kavukian, complain to the Privacy Commissioner's Office if you feel like an organization is invading your privacy. If you're unclear about how your data is being used or shared, be sure to ask for clarification if your data is requested. Don't feel like you're being a bother. This is actually your right as the owner of the data. Most organizations would be happy to answer your questions, and many are very transparent about their practices. But keep in mind that if things get difficult or you're not getting the answers you need, oversight bodies such as the Privacy Commissioner's Office are meant to advocate on your behalf. I also want to give a shout out to Lauren Eicherman from Dr. Kuvukin's office for assisting us with the scheduling of the interview. All right, AJ, ready to sound like a YouTuber? I sure am. I sure am. Well, to our listeners, please follow our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates. If you liked what we discussed today, feel free to share it with family and friends. And finally, feel free to share your comments with us. And if there are any future topics that you'd like us to explore, please let us know. What we'd like you to know is that we really do appreciate your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll hope you'll join us in the next episode of the Real Talk Roundtable.